0: If you have your Bibles, join me in Romans chapter 1 this evening. Romans chapter 1. Hey, it's good to have the teens over here with us tonight. We are glad that you are here. We appreciate you being a part of this service as opposed to normally the teen service. And they will be conducting their own service in here for us in the weeks ahead. But we are certainly glad to have them over tonight. In Romans chapter 1, we began looking last week. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ... Called to be an apostle, the sent one, separated unto the gospel. So we saw he was a servant, he was sent, and he was separated. And the call that was on Paul's life by God to go and do the work that God had called for him. But as we continue on in verse 5, we see how Paul recognized that there was an act of God involved in his salvation. But more than that particular act, there was a great deal of God's grace that was revealed. And then he declares that grace was not just for him, verse 5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom ye also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, ...that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift... ...to the end ye may be established... ...that is, that I may be comforted together with you... ...by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren... ...that oft times I purposed to come unto you... ...but was left hitherto... ...that I might have some fruit among you also... ...even as among other Gentiles. So Paul begins to explain here to the church at Rome... His desire to come and see them and yet in it how God has worked in his life and is working in his life and what God is doing in their life and the testimony that has come as a result of it. You see, like Paul, we are all given grace for both salvation and for service. And Paul declares early on, look, I know that I'm a servant. He knew that he was called by Jesus Christ and the Son of God. And he declared in verse 4, to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. That is, Jesus Christ did. By whom we have received grace and apostleship. He says, look, I know that my grace, my apostleship, came from the one who declared to be the Son of God, from Jesus Christ himself. And that grace is a grace that yes saves. Now, What's interesting is in this passage, there is a word that many times in our circles, when we put this word with salvation, people begin to get a little bit nervous. Look with me, if you will, there in uh, verse 6. Among whom are ye also called of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't like to put that word called in with salvation. We get very nervous because, connotatively, there are those that put a different doctrinal definition to that calling. That is not what Paul's implying here. Many would say that God calls or chooses some people to be saved, and that others are not. According to Scripture, we believe that God draws through the Holy Spirit all men unto Him. So the calling of God to salvation, even as we look this morning in Romans eight thirty two, "...but God who spared not His own Son, but gave Him for us all..." God has a desire that all would come to salvation, that none should perish, all should come to repentance. And in that, there is a drawing of the Holy Spirit that pulls people to recognize their need of a Savior. So when we say that we are called of God, that in no way makes it as if there is a particular grace that only is available to certain people. It is at that moment when God begins to call us and we respond to that calling that the grace of salvation is applied. And when we receive Jesus Christ, we get the grace that we need for salvation. But in addition to that, everyone who is saved has a grace for their salvation and for their service. We are quick to remember that it is by faith alone that we can go to heaven. And yet, sometimes we are slow to recognize that we are saved unto good works. Now, being on a Sunday night in here in a church service, most in here would recognize that there is a work that we are called to do for the Lord. But how serious do we take that work? How much are we interested in developing our lives for the service that we are called to? Now for Paul, it was unique in the sense that his entire upbringing, his entire life had revolved around being built and prepared for this moment. And we see that because of all of the religious training and the religious background that he had. We look at that and we go, wow, because Paul grew up under the teaching, preparing to be a Pharisee with all of his Bible knowledge, God had prepared him so specially for the service that he had called him to. As if, whatever your background is, whatever went on in your past, God can't use it in His service. And we go, well, but I didn't have that kind of background. Yes, but the background that you do have, God can equally use for His service, for His glory. If we will simply recognize that there is a salvation of grace and then there is a service by grace. You see, we have to recognize that we have a place in his service. Paul had to go through a difficult process when it came to this place of service. Paul's desire throughout this passage, as you read it, Paul's desire is great. He wanted to go and serve in Rome. He had a great desire, I believe for many reasons, to go and do this. Now, again, sometimes our our worlds, meaning our little spheres of where we rotate and we see things in scripture a little bit differently. I think in some ways I can see what Paul's going through right here, maybe a little bit differently. So I want you to think with me. Paul's a missionary. Paul's a pastor. Paul's going in to plant a church. Today... There is a big church planting movement in America. I I just believe that. I believe that that is true in a lot of ways. I believe it's true for a couple of reasons. One, I think because there is a need in some locations. I think, two, I had a friend who used to say this all the time. It's easier to give birth than raise the dead. So that there are a lot of young guys in ministry who are saying, I'd rather go give birth to a church than try and revive a dead church. And so they're saying, look, I'll just go church plant instead of trying to go and work through a church that's dying. And I believe there is truth to that. And one of the aspects of this that's such a big trend is for people to go and do church planting in large cities. Now, it is true that in America, there has been a process in which people over time are moving out of rural areas into city areas. So cities are growing more and more rapidly. Since the Olympics were here in Atlanta now a little over 20 years ago, the population in Atlanta has more than doubled. So it is over 6 million in our greater Atlanta area now. So people tend to move into large city areas because there's more employment, there's more jobs, all these reasons. So what's happening is you have church planters who are saying, you know what, I want to go and I want to start a church. I don't want to have to deal with a dead church, so I I want to give birth and and, put my stamp on it. And then they go, well, if I'm going to do that, let me go where the most people are. And so they tend to go into large city areas to plant churches. Now, there's certainly a need, so please don't undermine that for a second. But they go into these large city areas recognizing there's more fish in that pond. That can be a very good motivation, and it can be a very bad motivation. All right, so just think with me for a second. If the motivation is, I want to go where there are the greatest number of people who need to be reached, let me go there because there's more people. It can also be a motivation of let me go there because I can build a bigger church. And so I do think you see some out there in America today of churches going and church plants going just because they want a bigger church. But I don't believe that was Paul's case at all. Paul looks at it from a preacher's point of view in which he's saying, here's an area that has no great gospel witness and if I go in, this is where the majority of people are at and I can get to the most people and see the most people safe and have the greatest impact if I go to Rome. So in Paul's heart, he has a preacher's point of view in which he says, the gospel needs to get out so why don't I go to the pond where all the fish are at? God is looking at Paul and saying, Paul, I recognize this is what you see as the greatest need. And understandably so. But Paul, I've got a need for you over here. And I want you to go to this spot first, and then this spot, and then this spot. And for Paul, he had a desire to go to Rome because I genuinely believe he looked at it and he saw, here's an area where there's so many people. I have an evangelist friend who loves the Grand Canyon. It's just one of his favorite places on earth. And he does not like cities. He's a country boy. He doesn't like cities. And so he has said, he goes, my favorite place probably in America is the Grand Canyon. He said, but if I had to choose where I would live... I would choose New York City before I would the Grand Canyon. He goes, I hate cities, but there are people who need the gospel there, and there's shrub bushes here. So you go where the people need the gospel. Paul had the desire, but God had another plan for him. So Paul recognized and submitted to the fact that there was a place for Paul in his service that at this moment was not Rome, though he desired to be there. And you and I have to recognize that there is a place for us in God's service. And we have to be careful not to try and choose that place on our own. I said at missions conference, and I mean this, and I think it should be true for everyone, and parents ought to encourage their kids in this. Grandparents ought to encourage their grandkids in this. Go where God wants you to go. And mom, grandma, that may not be next door. Go where God wants you to go. Because it is more important that we go to the place of God's service than we serve in the wrong place. So I think we should at least do that. But if we will serve in the place of God's service... That's where God gets the greatest glory. That's where God will produce the fruit that he needs from us. We even see that elsewhere in Scripture where we see Philip who is preaching. He's seeing great revival. God says, I need you to go. And he goes and he speaks to the Ethiopian eunuch. And he leaves a group of people for one person. But God knew what he needed most. And Philip just simply obeyed. There is a place for you. And if God wants you in a different country, then you ought to be willing to go. If God wants you in a different position in ministry, then you'd be willing to surrender to that place. Because we have a place in his service and we have a position in his service. Paul was unique... Because Paul's position as he goes on to minister becomes a very powerful position in church history and really even in the church in that day. So when you looked at Paul, you go, man, that's the kind of position I want. One of the first people who comes along beside Paul and helps him in ministry is Barnabas. And when they go on their missionary journeys, it's not long until Barnabas has taken a back seat and Paul is in the driver's seat. And now all of a sudden you see the man who was the persecutor of Christians as the man who has taken the position, the forefront and authority in the church. And Barnabas has gladly taken his role and not had any problem with his position. In time, God uses them in dramatically different ways to continue his cause on earth. We look at Paul and we go, well, if I could have that kind of a powerful position, perhaps... For others of you, you go, I don't want that kind of position at all. The position is not what's important. And for Paul, ultimately, his position leads to prison. And so he suffers in prison because of the position that he had, but he was willing for his place to go from, instead of Rome, to a jail in Philippi. You see, God gives us grace for His service. And then He gives us a position and a place in which we are to serve Him. So the question becomes, am I going to be faithful in serving? Do you understand, God is working through His church to reach the world. This generation, this time in history, the church is the tool that God has chosen to use. There was Israel in the Old Testament... There was a time in which God used Jesus Christ himself. And then you have a time frame even in which the apostles are establishing the church. But today, it is the church that God is choosing to use. So if we look at it from a global point of view, because he's saying, look, God has given us grace to go to all nations if we look at it from a global point of view, what God is calling for here is there is a place and a position for you to have the grace to go and serve me, and the avenue with which I want you to get there is the church. It is quick in our day and age to pull away from the local New Testament church. Why? Anytime you have bureaucracy... Movement is slowed. Decisions are more difficult to come by. And oftentimes the older a church is, the harder it is for that church to move forward. I've mentioned to you before, where we lived before was a very historic area of the country there in the Shenandoah Valley. It was common to have churches much older than our church, which is 120 years old. So it, 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 you look at, and there was a church down the road that would be about 180 now. There was another church that was well over 200. So it was very common to have very old churches. There was a church across town. from us. When I say across town, you've got to understand there were no traffic lights between us and them, so, so for whatever that's worth. Across town, there's this church, and the church is hundreds of years old. And the church had money that had been set aside in like a trust, and so they have this huge trust fund for the church. But they had a need of something that needed to be done at the church, but they couldn't take care of it. They had all this money set aside, but they couldn't agree to access the trust fund to take care of a modern need to keep the church in good standing and good health. You just go, but they had become so antiquated in the way they did things that they couldn't move. So, what happens is a lot of people who are good people, who have a heart for the Lord, they go, I don't want to get bogged down in, into the church polity. So what they do is they pull out and they go into independent ministries to help spread the gospel and help reach people. Now you look at that and you go, well that's not all bad. And it's really not. Think about how much easier it is to disseminate information today than it was 50 years ago. Fifty years ago, if you were going to get your opinion out in front of a large number of people, you had to write it out, you had to submit it to an organization, a magazine, a book, an encyclopedia. It had to be edited, it had to be checked, it had to be verified, and then it was printed. Now any yahoo with an opinion can have something all over, and if it goes viral, it can hit millions of people within minutes just because the right person clicked on a link. And it doesn't matter if it's true or not. Honestly, today, we sit down and we watch the news. And we don't know if it's true or not. And you got one news source saying this is the truth. And the other news source saying it's fake news. And then you got this huge battle. And then you got Twitter on top of it. You, you just have all of this out there. Information is easier to get out than it has ever been. And it is true when it even comes to information about... Things of God. But now, instead of doing it in the structure that God planned in the church, everyone wants to pull out and do it independently of the church. Do you understand? According to Scripture, the church is the hope of this generation. The church is the tool that God ordained, that God blesses. Now what we have to remember is that it's not the building, it's not the property, it's we as believers who come together under the authority of Scripture and we submit to it to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. So if a group of people who are believers come together and they throw out the authority of Scripture, which is happening, now all of a sudden the church isn't doing its job. So we have to recognize this huge responsibility that the church has to reach this generation. First, I think, my God, this is verse 8, through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you in my prayers, making a request of by any means. Now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. You have this testimony, and I've been praying for you because I want to come to you because of the impact you're having. We need to understand that God ordained the church, and we must learn to work under its authority Because it is the church that will carry that testimony. And with that testimony, the authority that is given to the church helps balance people. Often in Scripture, Paul himself would even admonish, take what you hear of me, compare it. If it's any other gospel, then let it be accursed. But come back to the authority. When Paul himself is out on a missionary journey, when he's out planting churches and a question comes up about doctrine, what does he do? He doesn't go to the internet, he doesn't go to the block, he doesn't go back to a university. He goes back to the church at Jerusalem and to the authority established and given to James and he submits to that authority. You see, God uses the church, the church has authority, and we have to submit and recognize that this is what God is using and has chosen to reach our generation. Years ago, there in the Shenandoah Valley, our church that we were at was located right on Route 11. To give you a little history, before the interstate I-81 went in uh, through that area, Route 11 was actually the main highway. So here in this little bitty town, you have a four-lane divided highway right out in front of the church that most days you could play baseball on the road. I mean, mean, there's just not a ton of traffic on this four-lane divided highway. Well, several years ago, a, a gentleman who was obviously disturbed decided that he wanted to get rid of the churches that were in that area. And so being the main road that ran between two towns, he went along that road and tried to find every church he could, and he set them on fire and burned them. So he came along, and he came to uh, Mount Carmel Presbyterian Church, which was 175 years old. He set the church on fire and burned the inside of the church. They got there before it burnt the whole thing down. He went down, cut into a little town called Vesuvius, burnt Vesuvius Baptist Church. Half the building burnt to the ground. He then came to the church that we had been at, and I believe, if I hear the, remember the story correct, he got inside the church, but something didn't smell right, so he left. I got no idea what it was, but I'm grateful. And so then he went. I believe there's one more church along the way that he burnt down as he just went down this road and just burning churches down. And if you would have driven along and you would have seen these churches just over a few miles on the same road burnt to the ground, you would have looked at them and go, Man, that's such a travesty. It's a catastrophe. But the reality is an ineffective church and in our generation is a catastrophe. It's the same as if the building had been burned. It would be the equivalent of driving down the road and seeing a fire station that was burnt to the ground. You see, when a church isn't doing what it's called to do, when we're not serving God the way that we're supposed to be, when the grace that has brought salvation is not leading us to serve Him, it really is a complete waste. And in the end, it ends up doing more harm to the name of God than if it didn't even exist. That's why it's so important that as believers, we look at just this thought, that look, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. They were known, and we're known. You see, the Roman church had a great testimony throughout the world, and that testimony impacted so much the name of Jesus Christ throughout the world. And Paul recognized it. He had heard of it. Other churches had. And so what are we as a church known for around the world today? One of my burdens and one of the things that we will be working at over the next year or so is we support a great number of missionaries. And if I had to ask, most of us couldn't name more than two, three, four of them. And we need to do a better job with that. Um, Not just so that our name gets known by them. I'm not worried about that. But we need to know what's going on around the world and what part we as a church are having in that. There are certain churches that you can mention, and, and they're known for certain things. And some are known for their burden to reach the world on a global scale. That's what I want to be, a church that is known for reaching the world on a global scale. But we're never going to be any good at reaching the world globally if we don't get better at reaching the world locally. What are you known for in the world today? So when you take the name Harvest, what is Harvest known for? And then when you take the name Larry Wright, what is that known for? And when you look at those two and you begin to see the church at Rome, even though there was persecution, they were known for their testimony. What are we known for? What are we known for locally? What are you known for at your job? One of the things we have to get past is wanting to be known for the wrong thing. If you played a sport as a young person, and we have upwards basketball we'll be doing this week and games starting, and, and you play a game, you want to be known for being good at that game. You want to be known for being able to shoot threes, perhaps, or being able to rebound well, or being able to dribble, and you have something you want to be known for. I don't want our kids to be desirous of a name about basketball. I want our kids to be known for being someone who works hard in the game, for someone who is gracious and kind during the game, for someone who has a right personality and testimony during the game. Somebody who's showing grace. But we can build into our kids that being good at the game is more important than the character behind the game. And it's not. Don't let it be that we start young And then we go through our life. I hope that you are very good at your job. But at the end of the day, if that's what you want to be known for, then you're missing the point of your life. Oh, that we would desire to be known for our Christian testimony more than anything else. Paul desperately wanted to get there, to Rome. He said, look, I've been praying for you. I am desiring, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you, for I long to see you. But why did he long to see them? That I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oft times I purpose to come unto you. But was led hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I want to come, I want to minister to you because I recognize if I can get to you, I can help in some spiritual way. You see, Paul prayed unceasingly for people he had never met. You guys have a need, and I want to help in it. Paul recognized that as a believer, I want to be involved in the spiritual lives of others. I think that many times, we live in this world in which we're not concerned about the spiritual needs of others because we ourselves spiritually are so unsettled that we're more worried about just trying to keep ourselves out of trouble. And we need to grow in grace, so much so that we can now have a, a desire and a burden for the spiritual needs of others. We can look to others and say, look, I'm praying for you because I recognize there's a need there and I want to help with it. I want to come to you so that in some small way, I can help you with that need. And we're so concerned about the physical needs of life that we don't have time to think about somebody else's spiritual needs. Paul says, look, that's what I'm going to keep praying for you. We must be concerned with the spiritual growth of our family and our church family. (laughs) And it starts there. And as we begin to be so concerned about what's going on in our own family's life and then in our church family's life, then we can begin to grow to those outside and begin to help those outside of our church. Say, look, there's something going on. Let me help you. My desire for you is that you would walk with the Lord. When it comes to my kids, it is my desire that they would grow. And that they would begin to learn more and more about the Lord. And they, they would walk with the Lord. The other day, one of our kids had done something. And, and I had to deal with it in a disciplined manner. Before I could get to them to deal with it, I had acted much in the same way that they had acted. At that point, all I can do is apologize. And at that point, I recognize they're acting that way because I act that way. And now I have to go, you know what? I am concerned with the spiritual nature behind this. And it's because you're learning it from me. And so I had to deal with it in me so I could then in turn deal with it in them. But if we don't have that concern for the spiritual well-being of our family... And then to go on to our church family. We are good at putting on an affront. You know, we, we put up this show and we look a certain way, we act a certain way. And it ought to be that we can come to one another and just say, look, there's something going on. I need some help. It ought to be that you recognize in someone and say, hey, I see something there. Let me go see if I can encourage them. But it's hard when you start spreading out, and it's hard when you don't take time to get to know. Now, The reality is not everyone in here can know everyone in here well. But if we would recognize that there is a need and I have a responsibility to be involved in the spiritual well-being. I want parents to come to me, to come to Pastor Jeff, to say, look, there's something going on in my kid. Can you help me figure out what's going on? I want to be able to be a help in that. But I want people to be able to come and say, look, there's something that's just not right, and I need help. We have to create an environment in which spiritual growth can take place. So as we look at the life of Paul, Paul looks here in Romans chapter 1, and he says, look, I recognize I am nothing more than a set-apart, separated servant. And in doing that, God now brings me to a place, and it's His decision where I go. And if God says, go here, I go here because I'm a servant. If God says, go there, I'll go there. If God gives me this position, I will take it. If God sends me for a different position, I will go to that position. Why? Because I'm a servant. That's what I do. And then when I get there, I will be more concerned about those that God has placed there with me than I am about me. Most of us, the world revolves around us. And when God's grace works in our heart through salvation and then continues to work in our hearts so that we grow, then we can be concerned about others. Are you concerned about the spiritual well-being of those around you? If not, come back to Romans 1 and recognize the need for that grace in your life. Let's pray.